This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, coming up in hour two, Philadelphia Flyers general manager Daniel Briere stops by the program. Billy Jaffe from Nesson as well. In the meantime, very much looking forward to seeing the Florida Panthers tomorrow night on Hockey Night in Canada in action against the Edmonton Oilers. Their head coach, Paul Maurice, joins me now. Paul, how are you today? Good, Jeff. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing very well. First of all, just some uh, some business affairs to take care of here before we get to the other topics of discussion here. Uh, is there any update on Aaron Ekblad? Yeah, he's pretty good. He's walking around. It was lower body, minor, and almost precautionary at that point. So he's, I don't know if it's yeah. probable. We're not going to skate today. Today's a travel day for us. So we'll get him on the ice tomorrow morning. But there's as good a chance he plays tomorrow night as he doesn't. Okay. Um, fingers crossed. We'd love to see him on Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow. Um, I, you know, the, the, the story of the, Philadelphia, the uh, Florida Panthers, rather, coming out of uh, the beginning of the season was, you know, much like the we talked about the Boston Bruins last year, which was they just needed to keep their head above water, get to Christmas, and get everybody healthy. And we we're looking at your Florida Panthers kicking off the season. It's like, okay, no Ekblad, no Montour. What are they going to do here? How are they going to stay in that same spot that we now expect them to be in? Um, and we discovered a lot of things. We discovered that uh, you're really deep on the blue line. And although he was much maligned in Vancouver, there's a really good defenseman still in Oliver ekman Larson. What did you learn about your back end uh, with the, the two big boys out to start the season? Yeah, well, just the strength of our, our, you know, the organizational strength. We went out and found three defensemen. That had a huge impact. So Oliver ekman Larson has been really, really good for us. He played in the number one pair with Gustav Forsling in, in the absence. And you know, you mentioned those two guys, but just as big an injury for us was Sam Bennett missed the same amount of time. He was out 16 for games. Sure. He had a high ankle sprain there. So they, like your centermen are basically defensemen in your own end anyway. So we, we missed, missed those guys so much. But Dmitry Kulikov comes in, and I had him in, in Winnipeg, and... You know, he was injured a lot of the time, but he was great for us. And then we find, you know, Uvis Bolinskis, the Latvian who was playing in the Czech League, and he comes mm-hmm. over. The first week, you, you couldn't find him. And then by the last week in camp, you're thinking, this guy looks like an NHL player. So, you know, the guy that these guys came back, Josh Mahura, who played every single game for us last year, is is also on the outside. We, we Going into last night, we've got eight NHL defensemen. So... I think that Bill Zito and his staff, really, this, this wasn't a coaching thing. This was management being able to find the right people to fill the holes in. Um, and and we were, we, I mean, in some ways, we were as good as we are now. We, we, were, we were playing hard, playing right, uh, battling. These guys can all play in the NHL, and they were good players for us. Uh, let me ask you about a situation that's uh, generated a lot of discussion this week, and I think you know where I'm going here, and that is the uh, Good Branson situation with Nick Cousins. Now, the point that I was trying to make uh, pretty much right after it happened on the podcast and then, and then here all week on the radio show is it's two players going around the net trying to get position, trying to get inside lane to get around the net. And one of the things that I was saying, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong about this because I mentioned you specifically, I'm trying to say, like, if Nick Cousins doesn't body Branson in that situation and lets him escape, he goes back to the bench. Uh, I think we all know what Paul yeah. Reese is going to say. So let me ask you, if he concedes position on that play, what would you say to Nick Cousins when he went back to the well, bench? Nick, I, I know what you're saying. Here, and this is I really want to be careful of this because I'm not taking a shot, but you don't see that hit very often because of the icing rule. And for me, that should have been an icing play, and he put both both players in a difficult position in that um, the, the defenseman has to go get the puck before it has to chase it down. So it would be, this is, I'm going way back. If you go back and you look at Mark Shifley and the Montreal Canadian fans won't love me for this, but Mark Shifley got suspended for four games. And I still, I understand the hit yeah. on Evans, but, but you, I think you remember the play I'm talking about when a puck gets to that icing or, or in Evans case, he was coming around the back of the net with an empty net. There's a straight line. And you draw that straight line, you get there yep. as fast as you possibly can. And, like, Nick Cousins weighs 180 pounds, right? He's, he's got to finish his checks. That's the kind of player he is. I expect him that. Nobody, not even Nick, and I've talked to him about that. He goes, I'm not looking to do that. I mean, both those guys finished checks on each other hard all game prior. It's a tough one. You know, I've got two Womo Ruto on my staff, and he hit Darcy Tucker one night, and I'm coaching the Leafs, and I, I had coached yeah. Womo in Carolina. He hit Darcy Tucker from behind one night, and Darcy just turned into him, and it looked like he killed him. Well, Womo's one of the nicest men on the face of the earth. 
these these guys aren't. Mm-hmm. It's not as as evil as you think. Now, DeBranson took it personally and and did what he did. I'm actually fine with all of it. It's all done. It, it's it's sometimes at this speed with these men, a hit from behind, the, the line gets crossed. If it got crossed there, it wasn't necessarily intentional, but probably still gets crossed, right? It's a it's not a hit on both numbers. It's a hit on one number, and and it's a dangerous thing. The result was dangerous. Nobody liked it. Neither did DeBranson. It's over and done with. From a coach's point of view, because just from um, and that's a very good answer, by the way. I, I hadn't considered that the icing part of that. And now I'm gonna have to yeah, move that around my head I, I, for this I really, weekend, thinking about that play. Up. No, but I, I, but it didn't. No, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, I I think it's a salient point. A, I didn't bring this up as a complaint. It's a it's a very difficult thing, but you don't see that event. Like you remember, you've watched hockey for a long time. We saw versions yeah. of that happen a lot way back when, and the league did a great job. And, and that rule is yep. not easy to call all the time. I just think both players were in a position that you don't see very often anymore. And there's a reason for it, because the league's done a great mm-hmm. job getting rid of it. It could have been a nice thing. It wasn't, it's not a complaint about the call. I'm talking about the context of the hit. That's why it looked the way it looked. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the thing that I think a lot of us have noticed, I'm curious uh, if from your perch behind the bench, it seems this way to you. Um, and I don't think you'd mind it because you're this kind of guy that doesn't mind a rough hockey game. Thank you very much. But does it not seem that this season compared to last season is a lot nastier? And I'm not just talking about hits, but like fighting is up and like Brady Kachuk and Tyler Tucker had one for the ages last night in St. Louis. And it seems like every night there's, unlike last season, there's something that reminds us of what hockey used to be. Does it seem <laughs> nastier, Paul, to you right now? Um, I mean, not, not that word, but it seems more hotly contested. So the theory would be this. There seems this year, when you, when you looked at the, when you put the teams down and you were picking teams, there's a lot of really good teams, so which means there's a lot of expectation. So when the Florida Panthers lose yeah. two games in a row, like we just did, we're not very happy. But there's a lot of teams, Ottawa, Buffalo, that, that we looked at, and they're going to be right in the thick of it. And now Philadelphia is, and Detroit is. Yep. So the intensity level on each game for me has gone up a little bit for this time of year. It's not as, as it's, you know, you look at the game last night, it wasn't a great game, certainly by our count, but Vancouver is a real team now. They play a hard, hard game. So, and I, and I do think um, we all follow the leader. So there's a whole bunch of teams that went to um, um, Vegas as D-zone coverage this year, and you've seen that, and some of it's worked yeah. for some teams and it hasn't worked for others. And we play a pretty physically aggressive game. And, and teams, and you saw teams in the East react. That's certainly our opponents from last year. Toronto did, Carolina did. They yeah. had tried to add some bite to their lineup. So teams follow the finals. And a little more bite came in with our yep. team because that's the way we play. That's the way we have to play. Um, and, and I think that's what's happened. So I think, I think there's, a whole, there's more tension right now, I would agree, in the games because you, you go face a team that's either you know, playing really hard, physically hard, because that's maybe the trend of the game. But also there's some teams out there, there's some tension, right? Mm-hmm. There's some losing streaks. There's this time of year where the tension's high. Tension is, um, you know, the, uh, we saw a coach dismissed this week in Craig Berube. I'm not going to ask you about that specifically. I'm not even going to ask you about Jordan Cairo specifically because that's now become a sidebar to all of this. But one of the great things about talking to you, Paul, is, is you can speak philosophically about things and you're a thoughtful guy. I am curious, do you, do you want your players to like you? Is it important for, for your players to like you? I mean, the old saying about Scotty Bowman was always 364 days of the year, they hated him, and then on day 365, right. they got their rings. Is it important for players, right. in your mind, to like you? No. No, they don't have to. So just in general, when you walk into a room of 25 people, there's going to be, you will have an affinity, especially for three or four of them, and you probably will have three or four that you just don't get along with for whatever reason. Everybody else you can kind of meet on even ground. Yeah. I think that's fair of, of whatever environment you're in. So the, an NHL locker room wouldn't be different. But the intensity of those feelings sometimes can be because it's an intense environment. So when you are, when you are squeezing a guy, um, that's not necessarily an easy environment for the player to operate in. They don't have to like you. I think what you would want them to do is respect your direction and your vision. And I think that's where things get sideways. So 
we have a certain style of game that we want to play in Florida with the people that we have. My job is to articulate that game to them, and when they are outside that game, hold them accountable to it. So a player that really has a hard time playing our game, I'm, I'm, I'm on a lot more, right? That, and that's where that tension comes. This is the way we're going to play. This is the way I expect everybody to play, which is true of Barkoff, and it's true of our 13-4. There's certain, whatever you want to call it, demandables, commandments in our room. This is what we do. And then you have to apply that accountability. So you're going to have three or four guys that don't like you. No, the, the idea that, that everybody has to get along. Um, you know what? Here's, here's another one. I'm not going to tell you the play. You don't have to coach everybody as the head coach. So I had a player, and, God, he scored huge goals for us. We just could not get along in a million years. Couldn't get along. And it's kind of funny because we laugh about it now. He's not in the game anymore as, as a player. But So I didn't coach him. I had one of my assistants coach him. So other than, hey, how's the family at the, you know, at the coffee shop or whatever, whenever we would cross paths, it was a, we just wouldn't talk necessarily hockey. If I had something I was going to say to him, I went down and yelled at the assistant coach, got all my frustrations out. He went down and talked to the player. Everything was fine. So there's ways to – I still believe you're going you're gonna to want, you know, so, Jeff, at your office, you walk into a room with 20 people that you work with. There's probably three or four that you want to hang out with every day because they're funny. You get along with them. It's great. And then there's three or four you, you know, yep. you're know, you not at. It's, that's true of an NHL room, too. It's fascinating. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's such an interesting conversation. And I think the idea of, of getting an assistant to coach players that you don't see eye to eye with is a really wise move. You know, one of the one of the great one of the you know, great things about great coaches is they know when the team has heard their voice enough and they need a break. And usually those are the coaches that stay around for a long time. Paul, you've coached in this game for a long time. Um, how long did it take you to learn when to back off? When to say, okay, you know what? They've heard my voice enough. Uh, it's not going yeah. anywhere. It's not resonating. You know, the, too much water in the wine here. Uh, when did you realize that, you know, I, I need to back off a little bit? I guess you do develop a feel over time. I can tell you, my, I think my, I got the job November 7th. And the first day I gave the Hartford Whalers off was like December 14th. So we went like six weeks without a day off. And, and I never... It never crossed my mind. Brendan Shanahan was playing for us, and he pulls me in. He says, Paul, you, you got to give us a day off. You're going to kill us. And it never crossed my mind to give him a day off. So there's lots of stuff you learn over time, right? Um, honest to God, yeah. I was shocked. They needed a day off. I had coached two years of junior. We never had a day off. Okay, anyway. So that – but, Jeff, that's what I'm dealing with this morning. I mean, that, that never ends. That, you, you never get it as a coach, or at least I never have, where I walk in and I knew exactly what I was going to do every day. Now – I feel way more comfortable that I'm going to find it today, but that's what I'm trying to figure out. So we beat Dallas at home. They're a good team. We beat Pittsburgh at home. We go in and we beat Columbus and then we lose in Seattle. So no big deal, right? You won three out of your last four. And I didn't really mind our game in Seattle. Then we have a tough one last night. Like, and we're mentally off last mm -hmm. night. And this is also midway point of a five game road trip. So how do I handle my team today? Do I go in and bark? Cause we had some egregiously bonehead plays, but where are they at? Are they tired? We've had some flu go through our team. You know, we've, we've had some sicknesses. They've been a pretty good team. They've worked hard. They've responded. Now you're going into Edmonton, lost their streak, but put up 57 shots. So you know you've got to get them wired for tomorrow. Is today the day to do that? Yeah. So those, I guess maybe if I've developed some sense of it, and I don't think I've developed a complete sense, it's just that's basically what you do every day. What does your team need from you as the head coach? What's your mood? How are you standing? Are you barking? Are you consoling? Are you getting the guys individually? Or are you just staying the hell out of the room? And I'll do that a bunch too because I've got a great coaching staff here and they can handle all those things. Uh, last question for you, and very much looking forward to, the, to your Panthers facing off against the Oilers tomorrow on Hockey Night in Canada. Have you seen the best out of this team yet this season? Like, have there been a couple of games back-to-back? -back? Has there been a stretch of four or five where you say, okay, that's what we need come April? So, yeah, we, we've had some, some solid hockey. Now, there will always be pieces, right? But the, but the foundation of our game, is pretty good right now. And even even mm -hmm. people say, well, maybe a little inconsistent. I'm not exactly sure what, what our expectations. We we weren't. We went from a very very high scoring high point team two years ago when we had 92 points last year, and we are, we're a bit more of a grinding team for sure this year. So all I need to see yeah. this year from these guys is is that that willingness to stay in the grind. And then and then it doesn't matter. And this is going to sound funny, but this is kind of our mentality. It really doesn't matter how good you are. 
it's it's how how much can you adhere to your game and how hard can you be adhering to your game and how much can you enjoy mm-hmm. that because it's going to get tough and in the Boston series down three one it gets tough but if you if you can all I need to see this year is us play hard enough consistently enough I'm not really worried about our hands or our power play or if it's easy or if, if we don't play on style points if that makes any sense how we flow up and down yep. the ice isn't a very big concern we're going to have games when that happens and we have we've had games we snapped it around we look good we've analytically been a pretty good, darn good offensive team not not such a great offensive team but that's okay too um i've seen glimpses of i for this for this part of the year i'm, I'm reasonably comfortable we're at but that doesn't let you sleep any better that just just means the work that's been done has <laughs> been pretty darn good that's all. Uh, listen, look forward to look very much looking forward to see you guys play tomorrow night. Paul, thanks as always for stopping by, sharing okay, your Jeff. expertise and yeah. uh, and philosophies. Always a great conversation. Thanks so much. All right, Jeff. Take care. Thanks. Bye bye. There is uh, Paul Maurice, head coach of the Florida Panthers, one of the most thoughtful coaches you will ever find. I learned when I used to work for the Toronto Marlies doing color with John Bartlett, and Paul was the coach. I learned so much uh, talking with that guy day in and day out. Fascinating guy. One of the smartest coaches and just born to do it uh, that you're going to meet. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. This is uh, hour two of said program coming up at the bottom of this hour. Daniel Greer, the uh, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Like I said before the break, Danny Breer is going to try to convince us that this is a rebuild. And uh, yeah, nobody's going to buy it. If this is a rebuild, uh, how many owners around the NHL are like, yeah, sign me up for a rebuild. Playoff spot, fill in the nets, developing new stars. <laughs> Filling the building, making the playoffs. Yeah, that's uh, that's my kind of rebuild. We'll see if it continues, but uh, so far so good for the Philadelphia Flyers using ironic quotation marks, rebuild. Okay, Danny. Uh, yesterday in junior hockey, just a quick note here, standing by for Billy Jaffe from Nesson. The QMJHL, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, well, it used to be called that. Uh, went through a rebranding yesterday. This at the uh, Assembly of Members on Thursday. They voted for this name change. The QMJHL now stands for the Quebec and Maritime Hockey League. One-third of the league, six teams uh, in the Maritimes. Three in New Brunswick, two in Nova Scotia, one in PEI. Uh, so that would be Charlottetown and PEI. Uh, Halifax, Cape Breton, and Nova Scotia, St. John, Bathurst, and Moncton in New Brunswick. I, th- I think it was 30 years ago. It would have been 94, maybe 95, when Halifax uh, first joined the league. The Mooseheads, one of the most wildly successful junior hockey teams um, in the entire country. Um, Mario Cicchini, as one person told me yesterday, looking to put his stamp very much on this league. Uh, and this is the first nod towards it. Uh, so now it is the Quebec and Maritime Hockey League, although you can still call it the QMJHL. That still applies, or as everybody really calls it, the Q. So nothing changes there. 18 teams, six of them are in the Maritimes, so they've renamed it. The Quebec and Maritime Hockey League. It is still the Western Hockey League. It is still the Ontario Hockey League, although... I've mentioned this in a couple of different places. Going all the way back to, I want to say 2004, was it 15 when the CHL NHL top prospects game was in Niagara? That was the uh, Connor McDavid uh, CHL NHL top prospects game. Um, there was talk about the, uh, the CHL, the Canadian Hockey League, rebranding itself and going from the WHL, OHL, QMJHL to CHL West, CHL Central, and CHL East. The thinking behind it being that this this is this is the interesting point for me, from a marketing point of view, you know when you when you go to the draft, one of the great shots, like one of the great pictures that comes out of the draft, is after the last pick is made, and you get that photograph of what the board looks like from one to thirty-two, all the names and their 
the teams they came from. And the thinking, and this is where you have to sort of put your recruiter's hat on, the thinking behind rebranding the league, CHL, West, Central, and East, is if you're, if you're one of the operators of a CHL team, instead of having your team logo, like Connor Bedard, Regina Pat's logo, instead you have a CHL logo and you look at that board, it will be most years predominantly the CHL logo. And from a marketing point of view, that great shot has your branding all over it instead of the individual operator. It's a marketing exercise and it's a way to centralize power as well. It uh, doesn't look like that has gone anywhere. And now that the Quebec League has taken it a step further and actually rebranded themselves, I think maybe even the conversation about rebranding these leagues is probably gone or at least on the back burner. Uh, mentioned with Paul Maurice a couple of moments ago, Hockey Night in Canada will see uh, will feature a number of games, five specifically. Uh, the Florida Panthers will face off against the Edmonton Oilers. Look, very much looking forward to that. Uh, also, the Islanders and the Habs. The Islanders and Noah Dobson. What a week for Noah Dobson. What a season so far for Noah Dobson, and people are starting to take notice now, uh, more so than ever. So now we're going to get a whole lot of Noah Dobson and the Norris Trophy think pieces coming up. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. It is the Avalanche and the Winnipeg Jets. The Tampa Bay Lightning face off against the Calgary Flames. Shades of 2004. And the Florida Panthers take on the Edmonton Oilers. Joining me now from Nesson and one half of the Morning Brew podcast team. He is the one and only Billy Jaffe. He joins me now. Billy, how are you, pal? Good, man. I'm a little bit in the dark, literally and figuratively. I'll try and clean that up a little Ooh, bit. Ooh, throw that light on there. There you go. Yeah, sorry. Well, it makes it look like you have a head. halo over you now. That's good. <laughs> it's the bald. It's it's the bald head, Jeffy. How you doing, buddy? That's okay. I'm good. I'm I'm getting there too. Don't worry. I got the widow's peak oh, going. Stop. Don't worry. I'm creeping, oh. but I'm not. No, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It'll 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 happen to me. And I'm gonna do the same thing that you did. I'm just picking it. I'm just picking the whole thing and going for it. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to. I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to go You've for it. You've got a long way, long, long way to go. A long way to go. <laughs> well, the, the one I've always wondered, just because I, you go through things like every now and then, you know, in the summer, like you won't shave for a while, so you just shave your beard and you leave the mustache just to see what it looks like. I've always been curious to see what I would look like with the fryer tuck. Just that little ring around the side and nothing on top. Like, just for about a cozy five minutes. And then I'll just take the whole thing off. Uh, I'm good, pal. How are you doing, Billy? You're one of my favorite people. What's the latest with you? But just just keeping busy. Uh, a lot of hockey. NHL, NHL Network, Nessin, uh, youth hockey, still heavily involved in that. Um, all Excellent. good. And, yeah, the, the, the youth hockey will be coming to an end this year. This will be the last year as, as as the head coach of the Boston Junior Eagles, but that's a it's been a wonderful thing. It's been an amazing experience, yeah. but uh, it's time it's time to fly, literally, you know, yeah. pun intended, and uh, to well, let the young one not have to listen to his dad anymore uh, on the ice, off the ice, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Only in the car ride on the way home. What have you learned, by the way? I mean, the the old the old saying. Uh, the old Buddhist saying is always when one teaches to learn, uh, what did you learn sort of about yourself, about hockey, about your kid, about whatever, um, through coaching youth hockey in, in, in Boston? Um, all right. I've learned that I've loved it. I have, I didn't know what I, I didn't think I would, yeah. meaning I didn't know. I didn't know if I would really, and, and my, yeah, my, yeah, I love teaching. I've had my adult hockey camps for years and years, but I'm thinking, Oh man, you know, all right, kids hockey, great, but I haven't done a lot of that. You know, I always did hockey camps for people, but not my own type team. Yeah. And then I learned um, that uh, I do love coaching the kids. I love watching them mm -hmm. succeed. And I don't mean wins, I mean succeed on the ice. Winning is the extra bonus, right? Um, but I love yeah. learning that. I love learning about different ways to teach them. I love coming up with different ideas, um, different formats. We tried to treat them as they got older and better, Jeff, as little pros isn't the right word, but we were, we, we taught them to respect the game and the challenges behind that. And, and they wanted it. We found out that we wanted. I found that out. But the biggest thing that I learned, and this is going to sound very soapboxy, but it's, it's just the truth. So I'm going to tell it. I thought my job was to develop, you know, good kids, but, you know, make them better hockey mm -hmm. players. 
I really thought that was it. And you know what? I realized about two, three years ago, my job was to give them the best freaking youth hockey experience they could ever have because Amen. the world is going to kick them in the you-know-whats um, soon enough and let this be the greatest thing. That doesn't mean they have to peak here as hockey players, but let it be the most controlled, awesome, rational environment that they've had. Because, you know, in a few years, somebody's going to tell them that they stink. Somebody's going to bench. Somebody's going to this and that. And by the way, we're we're harsh with them. We're, we're I don't say harsh. We're strong yeah. with them. Like we are. We're we're honest and fair with them. But you know what? These kids can't wait to come on the ice for practice two, three times a week. And I feel like that's our biggest job. And then, so that's what I've learned, bud. That's what I've learned. That that's my most important thing is to give them the greatest youth hockey experience. Because starting next year, at least for us here in the states with U14 and stuff, a lot of stuff changes. It just does. Yep. Uh, you start to see agents showing up and the parents become more of a, an, an issue uh, than not to say that they weren't before. Uh, we all understand how that goes hand to glove. You know, one of the things uh, I want to get to the Boston Bruins here in a second, but I just want to, uh, to talk to you a couple more moments here about youth hockey and your experience coaching it at a very, very high level. I should mention folks like Billy will downplay it. He coaches like high end teams here, folks. He's got a really great group that he coaches. Um, but there, and I'm going to real oh, kidding. That I've, Jeffy, Jeffy, one thing about that. Yeah. We don't take ourselves too seriously as much. And, and again, I'm not, we have, we have said winning is great, but you know how many games we won our first two years combined? I think it was four. And we've built the right way. And because of that, I'm most proud of those kids because of that. And we've had some new kids come yeah. in. See? But I've had one issue with parents over the years. One, I've had one parent. And that was the thing. I told them the hmm. first year, I told them the first year, them being all the parents that came to play with us, I said, look, if you're here to keep track of assists, points, time on ice, you're Corsi, you're Fenwick, you're this, you're that. You're I said, <laughs> I said, leave. Don't stay here. I don't yeah. want you to stay here. This is the wrong place for you. And that's how we've coached. So anyway, I apologize for interrupting. No, I think I think. Listen, I think that's wonderful. And uh, listen, I like I always tell my kids, like uh, you know, I've got two boys and we have a daughter, and we'll see if she ends up playing hockey or not. Right now, uh, she loves dancing and she loves awesome. swimming. Um, that that's probably going to be her jam, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but you know, we always have told our two boys, like, okay, like you, have a great experience, enjoy these times uh, where the most important thing to you is, you know, the two games you play a week and the and the three or four practices you have, and all of your buddies and being in the room and learning and making mistakes. But from a hockey point of view, I just keep reinforcing to them, like, don't worry about the wins and the losses. It's nice to win, nice to win a tournament center, but all we're doing is building a base. And not just a base of hockey, but a base about base of growing up too. And you're learning how to navigate different relationships with your teammates. You know, this is the first one of the first non-parent grown-up relationships you are going to have because you're going to have a relationship with your head coach who is you know uh, decades older than you and assistant coaches as well like you're learning a whole bunch of things all at the same time and trying to process it all we're doing is building a base for hockey and for life does that resonate with you uh, two million percent bud two million percent love it um respect it uh, hopefully that we've been able to do the same thing with this group of, of, of children. Um, fed seven kids, six kids for seven years, stay with the team and, and nine or eight kids, like four or five years or more. So that's what we, that's what I sought out that, you know, I didn't want, wasn't trying to pick the best kids. I mean, cut all these, look, we had to make changes, but we wanted to build them a life experience that will make them better on the ice, more importantly, off the ice. Um, we're not always perfect. I have failed at times, whether it's communicating with the kids or perhaps yelling at an official a little more than I should, not yelling at, but, you know, to, to, you know, <laughs> yeah, tweaking a little bit it. here or there. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I mean, but as far as I could go, as far as I could hope for, Jeff, um, the parents' support of what, what I laid out what and i always say we because i love my assistants i've got like the amount of assistance like an nba team has i just like it that these guys are involved and they mm -hmm. care as much as, as i do and um it's a real by committee approach but we i, I kept saying to them look 
This is about the kids when they're 18. If they're all played hockey through their 18 years old, for us, more or less high school, maybe 19, I said, we've really done our jobs. If that's what we've ended up doing here, because 99.9% yeah. of everybody ends up in men's league. Everybody ends up in beer league, except they point, you know, 1% oh, yeah. if they're lucky. And if they can all still love the game and to where they're willing to work their asses off, especially through their 18th or 19th birthday, right? Where they're really willing to mm -hmm. for a physical and mental kind of exp experience. That's what we've done. And so, again, it, it sounds very, you know, pie in the sky. But again, I just I realize that it's been breathtakingly fun. It has. I mean, last year mm -hmm. was a storybook year for our team. It was. And uh, from a from a winning perspective this year, most of our le our league is like a, an absolute march, man. It is a hard death march through it. It is. It's awesome. Right. But every team except mm -hmm. one is basically 500 because every game is a one goal game. It's spectacular. Last year we had a, a, a mm -hmm. scintillating season. And you know what? When we won the championship in the, in, in the league championship, there were hugs and handshakes and some tears, if only because the kids saw what they did. It was it really was awesome. So that's that's what it's about. That's you kind of sounded like Danny Gallivan there a second ago. Scintillating season. Holy smokes, oh, Jeff. You're yeah. going old school with Sorry. me here. I, I love uh, it. I'm pulling and out the SAT words. I, 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 that's okay, man. That's good. Hey, use the education somewhere. Uh, it's funny you talk about the about uh, beer league, and I keep telling parents this who get really worked up. I always say, like, you know, we're making beer leaguers, right? Like, you know, we're making really good beer league hockey. We're paying a lot of money. We're the we're the development system for all the beer leagues. Like, that's what we're doing here, everybody. Uh, okay, let's get to the Boston Bruins here. So the uh, the the latest bit of news is um, Charlie McAvoy and Pavel Zaka on IR. Yeah. Um, listen, the Boston Bruins are like the Monty Python night, just a flesh wound. No problem. Carry on. <laughs> like nothing changes and Billy agree, disagree. Nothing will change with this latest bit of making it official with McAvoy and, and Zach on IR. Yeah. Um, I guess Jeff, there was, not, I guess there was hope a few days ago because McAvoy skated. Right. And you're thinking, oh, maybe it's yeah. not that big of a deal. And it still might not be that big of a deal. They emphasized, they being Jim Montgomery, I'm going to say five days ago, that it wasn't a concussion, it wasn't a head injury, that he got he got hit up high. He got hit an elbow in the head head area by, uh, yeah. uh, was it Krebs, I believe, of Buffalo. He got he got hit there. And yeah. um, Paterka, make your pardon, Paterka, my, my, my bet. Regardless, I, I don't know what it is, whether, I'm not going to even speculate, but it's something upper body. But anyways, he's not back. Zaka really don't know what it is. Um, it just makes it official, but it, it boy, is it a different line. Let's not forget Derek Forbert's still out long-term too. And he's the regular number six, yeah. number three left D for them, Jeff. So, I mean, it, all it does is it allows them to call up some more guys, which they did for this game tonight. They're inserting Jesper Boquist in the lineup in this one. Matt Patra is going to get what they're calling a scheduled day off. They're starting to maintain his, his workflow, God, I hate those terms, but you know we're we're getting load management workflow, all that stuff in hockey. Um, Welcome to basketball, Billy. Welcome to basketball. Oh God, hey, hey, please, please, I'm sorry. Um, anyways, so I, I you know, I, I hate saying this because cliches are not my friend, but it's a good opportunity for Boquist. It's a good opportunity for a guy yeah. like DeBrus to. Do you do a little more Trent Frederick slides to a center spot? Ian Mitchell plays more, but it's not a, a great uh, feel, at least from the outside looking in, because it's not your best lineup, but it is what it is. It's the NHL game 30-ish in the season. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Matthew Poitra, and it's a fascinating story. It's a great story for the Boston Bruins, and I know that you know with Hockey Canada, they're probably crossing their fingers and saying, "Okay, if it's not going to be Zach Benson, can we get a Matt Poitra here for the uh, for the World Juniors in in Gothenburg, Sweden?" And I'll tell you, I've had a lot of conversations recently um, with teams who have you know players that they could send who are still eligible. And the one thing that keeps coming back, like last year, Halifax was one thing because it's not too far away. Um, yeah. But overseas is another kettle of fish altogether. And the, the one the one argument against the NHL teams making their players available is, first of all, they get out of an NHL rhythm. 
And then when they get back, it takes a long time since they've been away from their NHL rhythm, a while to get back to it. Like one player I, I spoke to said, you know, last year was Halifax and that's close. And even then it took me two weeks to get back to my professional rhythm. And he said, you know, if I go again this year, how long is it going to take me? And now you're factoring in travel um, to Sweden. So I know that... I think a lot of people just think that, oh, hockey players can just, you can go play in Sweden for a couple of weeks and then come back and jump right back into the Boston Bruins lineup. But it doesn't work that way. Like, you know this, but like there's a rhythm uh, that a season have. There's a rhythm that a player gets into and then you break that and you absorb a totally different rhythm and it makes it that much harder to readjust when you come back. Okay, and, and let's, since your your knowledge is is phenomenal about this, tell me as well, remind me, if Canada, if and I'm going to assume they're going to do pretty well, yeah. okay? Because they usually do. Um, how many usually? Okay. Usually, how many games if they go play for gold would a player play? In is it 12 days? Is it 10? What is it? What, what what's? Yeah, I what's, think it's is it six? I think it's six. I think it's six games. Six or seven okay. games. Let's 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 go high. Let's call it seven games in like 12 days. That's a hell of a lot of hockey too. It's not like these NHL oh, yeah. players are going over there to rest and to get, you know, all this, oh, luxury, relaxation and rejuvenate, which many of these actually 19-year-old kids need still. Like, it's their body. It's more than anything, it's their mind. I mean, their bodies, of course, are tired, but their mind of going against guys that are 6'3", 208, which is almost average, yeah. basically. You know what I mean? It's like, so I, I don't think... Your point about travel or your 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 take and others' takes on travel, especially this year, is very well taken because you're talking six-hour difference. You're talking all that stuff. It's not against the same level of competition, which maybe isn't a bad thing. And people are saying, well, you know, a guy like Benson or Patra would play 18 to 20 minutes. Not a bad thing. However, going against different competition, the volume of hockey, though, that those players play, it almost balances itself out. It almost, if not makes it a negative, because of your point again, the whole re yeah. reacclimation coming back. Listen, I, the World Juniors are phenomenal. We know there's great theater. But if you're, I mean, the Bruins can't send Matt Potter, we know this, to the American League. So if they're really concerned, yeah. by, and th then, then if they're sending him to the World Juniors, are they then thinking, well, geez, maybe we send him back to juniors? And are, now are we really messing with this development? I almost think it's like, look, Matt, we know it'd be an amazing experience for you, but you're an mm -hmm. NHLer, buddy. You're an NHLer. And when it's all said and done, at least to me, Jeff, maybe you disagree or some people would disagree. The NHL is the is the creme de la creme, man. It's that it's that top spot 100%. to be in. Ask any of those guys, would you rather go to the World Juniors or play in the NHL? The answer is going to come back really fast. NHL. Yeah. All day long. Like, really, yeah. I mean, I, I think we, uh, to be honest with you, Billy, and you, know, you and I have talked about the World Juniors a lot, I think we kind of have a warped view of what all of this is. When really, we look at it as if it's, this is like the be-all and end-all hockey tournament. This is, you know, national identity and national pride and what the kids all work for. This is a developmental tournament, man. Just like the U18, U17, like, all, this is just a developmental tournament. It is another rung on the ladder to get you to the NHL. And if you're yeah. already there and you have a spot, what's the point of going back? I agree. I agree. What is the point yeah. of going back? Yeah. Um, okay, Boston Bruins. Um, facing off against the New York Islanders. Uh, Islanders are a fascinating team. You know, I've talked a lot about Noah Dobson this week, and I think that, you know, he's not Kale McCarr. Make no mistake about it. He's not Quinn Hughes. Uh, but he's that tier right underneath as well. Uh, I always throw Charlie McAvoy in that conversation with the top tier. For whatever reason, I don't know why, Charlie McAvoy always gets overlooked when we start talking about, I know he's injured right now, when we talk about the top defenseman in the NHL, which is weird because Boston is such a great hockey market, a lot of great hockey fans, a lot of eyeballs watching the Boston Bruins on a consistent basis. Why don't you think McAvoy gets mentioned amongst the McCars and the Quinn Hughes's and the Adam Foxes ever? Uh, he does, but it's not often because of points. Those guys produce more points. That's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's better offensively. Uh, I'd still I'd always love to see Charlie shoot more. I mean, his powerful first stride is outstanding. His body work, 
physical body work is is awesome. I mean, he's arguably the most he's not arguably he's the most physical defender the Bruins have, which I think they would love to help actually find somebody else to take alleviate a little bit of that pressure on him. But it's just Jeff, Jeff it's because he doesn't produce you know sixty plus points. That's why he doesn't get the yeah. same uh, attention as those three other players that you mentioned. That's simply what it comes down to, bud. Um, you have a thought on what we're expecting tonight? Bruins and the Islanders. Islanders are a force right now. Uh, yeah. Even with all the injuries. Like, you have a thought <laughs> on what, what tonight looks like in your mind before they drop the puck? I, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, um, I'm having an interesting time myself trying to figure out what the Islanders are and how they're doing it. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. You brought up Noah Dobson. He's been a beast for them. We know Horvat Barzell has been great. Yep. Uh, loved what I've seen out of the youngster Holmstrom. You know, he's brought an energy to that PK, yep. the third line, et cetera. But then I look at their defense outside of Noah. I'm like, really? They're doing it? Of course, goaltending is good there. Um, what do I expect tonight? I, be, the Bruins lineup, Jeff, I don't know if, if you saw it. It's it's different because of no Zaka um, and, yep. uh, you know, no Patra. They've got Morgan Geeky going back up to what we'll call the top line. He's in between Danton Heinen, who has been one of the great value adds this year, and Pasternak. And then you got Coyle with Marchand and DeBrusque. I think if I, – I mean, the top six are pretty uh, – it's still it's still good for the Bruins, but it's different. I'm, I'm going to look at the bottom six, and I'm going to say if the Bruins' bottom six of Frederick and Beecher as your centers and JVR and guys like that – can outplay the Islanders' bottom six. Maybe they'll be okay. Um, but otherwise, I think this is a tough game for the Bruins tonight. This is the second of three games in four nights, all against New York area teams. Um, Islanders seem to be feeling it right now. They seem to be handling the other team's pushes very well. They get the saves they need. And then whether it's a Brock Nelson or a Horvat or a Barzell, they come through a goal or come through, I mean, with a goal for this team. And then they keep motoring. Yeah. That's what I've seen a lot out of this team. Like nothing jumps out. They're good special, or actually, their power play's not. But you know, or the penalty kill, I beg you, is is not good. I, I don't know, but I look at this team and I say, well, you know what? I got to tip my hat to them because they're winning. I think this. Look, the Bruins were able to grind it out the other night in Jersey. It was an old-fashioned grinded-out game, Jeffy. I got to think yep. that this game against the Islanders has to be similar. I, I just think it has to be with the lineup that the Bruins are putting out tonight. Uh, real quick before I let you go here, um, Mason Laurie, uh, yeah. listen, we've always talked about the Boston Bruins and the embarrassment of riches on the blue line going all the way back to Eddie Shore and then <laughs> funneling through Bobby Orr and Brad Park and Gord Kluzak and Ray Bork and Zdeno Chara and now Charlie McAvoy. I'm not going to put Mason Laurie in that conversation yet, but they have a real good one in this kid, Billy. They do have a real good one. Offensive instincts, Jeff, are outstanding. His first stride, very good. He's got to work an awful lot on his closing, D-zone, neutral zone type closing, and some of the puck decisions. Uh, normal for a young defenseman. Um, you know, the, the great news is this, Jeff. His instincts, NHL caliber with the puck. Even without the puck, he moves well. Mm. But his inability to always defend well is getting um, it's getting exploited at times. He's been on the ice for, I, I'm going to say it's like 13 of the 26. I, I could be wrong, so forgive me. Even strength goals that they've given up when he's been there. But he needs, and he will, work on it. He's got natural length. He's going to physically get stronger. And when he's going to learn from guys like, as you mentioned, a McAvoy, a Carlo. Boy, Carlo's been good this year, too. Real good. I think I could yeah, see a Carlo yeah. in a low right. Carlo low right being a pair in the future. But uh, here's the good news about Mason Lowright. He's going to get called up. He's going to get sent down. He's going to be an NHLer this year, here and there. I think after this year, they'll probably try and keep him up. But he'll have a real good maturation or mature type, maturing type of season this year. From the hockey hotbed of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Billy. We talk <laughs> yes. about non-traditional hockey markets. Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, buddy. His dad uh, was listen, a coach there. Catching up with you. Yeah. His dad was it. a coach in the, I just in the ECHL. Just, like, just yeah. That's a one. I, I, I love it. I, I love stories like that. Absolutely. Uh, I'm up against the clock. Danny Briere coming up on the other side. Billy, on that, we'll let you uh, get back to um, thinking about youth hockey, thinking about the Boston Bruins, and doing what every single hockey parent does, and that is dreading the last drive. It's coming up for all of us, <laughs> folks. Uh, you be well, Billy. Take care, my friend. You got it. Take care, Jeff. Good to see you. 
Billy Jaffe from uh, the NHL Network, from Nesson, covering the Boston Bruins, and the Morning Brew podcast, along with Andrew Raycroft. Okay, uh, hitting a break from the Bruins page to the Philadelphia Flyers page. We're going to go here. Please, don't 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 talk to me about rebuild in Philadelphia. Uh, not when you're doing the things the Philadelphia Flyers are doing. Uh, what does the future look like? Uh, is it still eyes on the rebuild prize here for the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers? Uh, we'll ask him that in a moment. Daniel Briere stops by the program in a couple of moments here. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. It is the Merrick Show. Also, wherever you get your podcasts. Briere is next. Don't go anywhere. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so let's play a little game here. Imagine we're in court together, and this is the case that I'm making, okay? Since November the 10th, Your Honor, the Philadelphia Flyers record is 11-3-2. That's good for 24 points. That is most in the NHL in that time. And you're going to try to convince me this is a rebuild? Your Honor, the Philadelphia Flyers find themselves third in the Metropolitan Division with 35 points and a plus 10 goal differential. And you're trying to convince me that this is a rebuild? They beat the Washington Capitals last night in a shootout 4-3. to three. You're trying to convince me this is a rebuild? They're 6-1-2 in their last nine. And you're trying to convince me that this is a rebuild, Your Honor? We'll call our first witness. He's the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, who's going to probably do his best to try to convince all of us that it is a rebuild that the Philadelphia Flyers are going through, but no one is buying it. Uh, Daniel Briere joins me now, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Danny, how are you today? Hey, Jeff. I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. Uh, what did you think of me making my court case for how the Philadelphia Flyers are not going through <laughs> a rebuild right now? All the evidence in court points uh, to this not being a rebuild. What does the GM say about that? <laughs> and I, I, I did say at the uh, beginning of the season or in the off season that the players would would decide how deep uh, that goes. Um, so it's uh, you know I think they're uh, they're making me uh, they're, they want to make me eat my words. Um, it's been it's been a lot of fun watching these guys come together and playing for each other and playing as hard as they've played. For sure. Like, listen, I, I say it all tongue-in-cheek. Like, we know that there's still a lot of a lot of road here in this NHL season and is the team where you and Dan Hilferty and Keith Jones and John Tortorella want it to be? Well, no, but at least now we can we can start to see where it's, it's headed. Um, when you look at bright spots so far that you've seen along the way this season, there are many. Uh, which ones stand out to you the most, Danny? Um, I think our defense is probably the one area that there, there was a lot of question marks uh, coming into the season, um, you know, and, and you look at what this group has done. It's, it's been pretty impressive, starting with Travis Sanheim. Uh, there's a lot of questions uh, regarding where, where he would fit and, you know, how good of a dis- defenseman he would be. Um, I think with the departure of Provorov, he's really taken this decor, um, you know, by storm, and he's, he's really taken it taken over there so it's it's been fun to see that um obviously we we were hard on him in the off season and we challenged him and and he responded so uh, you know kudos to him he's uh, he's been fantastic i think cam york has uh you know taken another step in his development because uh, we forget sometimes mm-hmm. cam york is only 22 years old he plays you know such a, a veteran type game um so he's been impressive and um you know the, the two guys uh, that we didn't know how far they could take us with Sealer and Walker. And those two guys together uh, as partners uh, have been excellent. Again, last night, um, the two of, two of them had a big big say in our win. Um, but since, you know, they came together, they've been really, really impressive. So um, it's it's been good. There's still a long ways to go, and I know it's uh, just you know, we're a third of the season in. Um, but, um, you know, the the guys are playing hard for each other, and that's uh, uh, that's probably what has been the most impressive part. 
And it's fun to watch. Like, at the end of the day, too, the Philadelphia Flyers are becoming appointment television. It's a combination of skill uh, and toughness and good goaltending. Uh, and as you mentioned, a uh, pretty underrated blue line as well. Like, I'm with you on Travis Sanheim. Like, that that, that to me was the, the one player that I wondered about coming into this season. Uh, we all know the the situation with the St. Louis Blues in, in the offseason and what that was going to mean for Sanheim, where his head was going to be at. And, you know, in these situations, sometimes it doesn't work out. But of all the players on your team, I think I'm most impressed with Sanheim, who's been able to block out all the noise, um, just, you know, keep the horse blinders yep. on and focus on focus on what he needs to do. Like, I don't know, like, am, am I missing the boat on this one? Like, it's one of the more remarkable things about this this Flyers team this year. Yeah. The fact that, you know, Travis Sanheim, and I know players always hear about themselves, and I'm in this trade rumor, and I'm in that trade rumor, and I'm going to be going here. Like, it's it's just the reality of playing in the NHL. But he's, like, correct me if I'm wrong, he's been really to sh- really able to shut all of that out. Yeah, and and I wonder sometimes if it's the fact that he's been able to to shut it out, or if he's used it to fuel um, his determination to prove everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and look, I, I I was hard on him. We were all hard on him after the season that he had last year. Um, we expected him to, to take a, a step forward. That didn't happen. Um, but boy, did did it change this year? His demeanor from day one. Uh, at training camp, he was—he seemed like a guy who was on a mission, and um, now he's—he's he's becoming one one of our leader uh, in the dressing room as well. Something that we we had been waiting, you know, for him to do, and really he's done that this year. So it's um, kudos to him. Um, I don't think any of us knew what to expect with Sean Couturier when he came back. I mean, being off as, as long as he was and the surgeries that he had uh, and the fact that he's not 23 years old anymore. Uh, what do you see now when you when you look at Sean Couturier? Like, he's never going to be confused with, like, Pavel Bure. He's never been a burner, um, but has always been a really smart player, um, someone who's always yep. in the Selkie conversation when, when he's healthy. Like, like, Danny, you played, and you played that yep. position. Like, what do you see in Sean Couturier right now? He's, uh, he's getting more and more consistent. I, I thought early in the season, which was to be expected for someone who hadn't played in almost two years. Um, but, but now his game is getting more consistent. Um, but adding a guy like that changes everything. Yeah, he, he might not be a, a Pavel Burry type player, but, but what he does is he changes the order throughout your lineup in every situation. Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that can uh, play top minutes, can play and face the, the top players every single night. So that changes your matchup. If you, you remember last season we had Noah Cates and Morgan Frost kind of having to deal with the top yep. players on, on each team. It was almost unfair for them to put them in their, that situation. Um, you know, Now they, they can breathe a little better. They can play their game a little bit more um, and not having to worry about facing you know Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid or Jack Hughes. So uh, it just resets the order so much easier for us having Sean as a staple mm-hmm. that, you know, he's, he's the first center. He's the first guy that goes out uh, to take face-offs on the penalty kill. Um, he's on the first unit on the power play. So he, he takes um, a lot of responsibilities away from our younger guys and gives them the chance to, to play a little bit more freely. So that's the biggest thing that has changed in our lineup, having – uh, Sean Couturier back, and I should add, Cam play heavy minutes, PK power play. Uh, you know, it, it just changes mm-hmm. the look of your lineup. Uh, last night, we all loved, uh, unless you're a Washington Capitals fan or someone that plays on the Washington Capitals, uh, Bobby Brink uh, deking out Charlie Lindgren on the on the attempted poke check. Uh, the kid's got fantastic hands, uh, no doubt. Uh, I know he's an important part of what you're building with the Philadelphia Flyers. Do you have a, a couple of words for, for people that may not know about Bobby Brink? What should they know? Yeah, well, well I think he was uh, he was trying to keep up with T.J. Oshie. Um, Oshie had a pretty fantastic move <laughs> himself. Yeah, uh, it was good, Bob. It's T.J. Oshie, man. <laughs> and then Bob, yeah, and Bobby came in and uh, had his own uh, twist on it. So it was uh, it was pretty good to see that uh, from our perspective. Um, 
you know, to be honest, we, we didn't know where Bobby was going to play this year. We thought he'd start in the minors and, and maybe work his way in eventually, you know, as we he hit a lull or injuries throughout the season. But he was so good in training camp that he forced our hands. He forced us to, to keep him in the lineup mm-hmm. from, from the get-go. And he, he just keeps getting better and better. Um, again, he's not the biggest guy out there, but he sees the ice so well. Um, you know, you've probably heard the term, he's a hockey player. And, and it's the best way to yeah. describe Bobby Brink. He just lo- he loves being at the rink. He's, he could be there all day long. He doesn't want to leave the ice. Um, you know, great attitude. The guys love him. And um, it, mm-hmm. his vision, the way he sees the ice is, is you know, pretty special. And that's, that's why he's playing as well as he has, and he's been contributing, um, not just, you know, playing a small role. He's, he's actually been put in a, with pretty big responsibility so far, he's, and he's delivered. With Daniel Breer, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Um, you mentioned off the top that the, the players will decide, you know, how deep of a rebuild this is. Um, will the players also decide what you do at trade deadline? You know, I, I do wonder about this. Like, a trade deadline comes, the Philadelphia yeah. Flyers are still in the playoff picture. Another general manager says, you know, I've got a, a whopper of an offer for you here uh, for players who might be on expiring contracts. Like, I, it's it's a tough situation on one hand, or maybe it's not. Like, where is your mind at on where this team is? And if it's in the same spot at trade deadline, what goes through your mind? Well... I mean, first of all, I, you know, we have to keep it realistic. Uh, this is really tight, and there's a long ways to go uh, before the tra- trade deadline. Um, so, so we'll see how things have gone. It's it's great that we've been we've put ourselves in a situation where we can play meaningful hockey games. It's tough when, you know, two months into the season, you already know you're not going to make the playoffs. So, for the development of our yeah. players. Or the culture that we're trying to bring in, this is fantastic. Um, so our guys are, are already going to learn a lot, and we're going to learn a lot about our players too in, in the next couple months, uh, or three months uh, before the trade deadline. So a lot can happen. Um, you know, we're going to be smart about it. We're still going to keep keep a, a look towards the future. Um, you know, I've said it from the get go. What we're trying to do is not have a team that has a chance to make the playoff one year and miss the playoff the next. Um, our goal is to, right. you know, produce a, a contender that has a chance to win the Stanley Cup year after year. I'm not sure we're there. I know we're not there yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to fool anyone thinking, to, thinking that we're winning the Stanley Cup this year. Um, you know, so we have a long ways to go towards that, so I don't think we're going to be buyers, um, but you know, time will tell in which direction or what happens uh, as we near the, the trade deadline. It's a little too early to tell that. You know, one, one of the things that I don't think should be lost on people that may not follow the Philadelphia Flyers on a, on a day-in, day-out basis is, you know, how much the league right now seems to be leaning in the direction of the way you're building this team. Let, let me explain. Uh, I was talking to Paul Maurice in the first hour of the show, and I asked him, you know, does it seem does it seem nastier out there now? Like, does the game just seem tougher and nastier every night? You know, last night, you know, Brady Kachuk had a great one with, with Tyler Tucker. Every night there's something, whether it's, you know, big hits, whether there's fights and, you know, uh, you know, we're past the days of, of line brawls. But, you know, it just seems as if there's an intensity in the game now. And, you know, we had a conversation about, you know, Vegas and how tough they were and Florida, his team, and how tough they were last year yeah. in the playoffs. Do you find, because I, I keep thinking, like, hey, this is like the Philly identity. This is a blend of, like, toughness and skill at the same time. Do you find that the way the league is trending right now fits right into what you're building? Um, yeah, a little bit. I, You know, this city here in Philadelphia, probably more than anywhere else, uh, you know, demands that you have a team that, that works for 60 minutes every single night. Now, that that's not realistic. There's Every team has lulls where, they're, you know, you're not playing quite as well. Mm-hmm. Or, but for the most part, I, I think we're a team that 
puts a, a pretty fair effort, uh, intensity, work-wise. Um, and, and we have to play to, to the city a little bit. And George has mentioned that. And, and I think we have the coach um, in, in place for that. To, to It was important to bring back that culture that we had lost the last few years. Um, so, yeah, the league is, is tough. Um, just look at the, the Stanley Cup final last year between Florida and, and Vegas. And they yeah. were hard games every single game. It, it, was, it was hard. It was a war out there. So, um, yeah, it, it plays a little bit more. The other thing, too, that I've no, noticed this year is there's no easy win. You know, last year there's probably six, seven, eight teams at the end that were in the second half that were not in the picture at all. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't really matter if they win or lost. I mean, this year, uh, you look at the, the teams that are at the bottom, San Jose had their little they had a little bit of a bad stretch, but you look at them now, they're playing hard, they're finding ways to win. Um, Anaheim. Anaheim is, you know, one of the probably most skilled. They're young, but they're one of the most skilled yeah. team in, in the NHL, I feel. They're they're not an easy beat. You go there you better better be ready to uh, uh, to fight and to claw. Uh, same thing with Columbus. Columbus is now, you know, beating some, some really good teams. So, you know, the Flyers wasn't that we were in that pack last year. Um, things have changed. So it, it's really it's a really tough league I find this year. Um, before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you about uh, the decision making process um, for everything the Philadelphia Flyers uh, do. Uh, and we've talked a lot about John Tortorella, and I know that he has a say in all of it. Um, but also. You know, Keith Jones is someone that, like, I'll just be blunt, you know, whenever I bring his name up with, you know, other teams or agents specifically, uh, they rave about him. Oh, it's great having Jonesy around and Jonesy this and Jonesy that. Uh, we all know yeah. about the effect that uh, Dan Helferty has had on the organization, too. Um, the, the one thing that I wonder about is, given what Keith Jones does and has the ability to do and the support that Dan Helferty provides for the entire vision like is it easier now to do your job now that this is all sort of in place oh yeah oh yeah much much easier um first of all we're we're fortunate dan hilferty and the flyers organization starting with comcast they've given us all the resources needed to to become a top destination again in, in the nhl they're committed to that which makes my life a lot easier, Jonesy's life uh, and Torts' life a lot easier. Um, the other thing I would say is, is you know, it, it's really a collective effort. It's, it's been so much fun um, working together rather than trying to do it by myself. Having the support of Torts, Dan Hilferty, and Jonesy to work with um, has been tremendous. And, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm the lucky one that has Jonesy by my side because he's got so much knowledge. First of all, the relationships that oh, yeah. created over years and, and years of working, you know, so close to the ice um, with the players, with the agents, with the coaches, with the GMs. Um, this is a, a, a huge asset for, for us to have them beside us and um, help us, you know, kind of shape the direction that we're, we're going in. So, uh, you know, I, I feel that I'm, I'm the lucky one that have reached the, the benefit of uh, having Jones beside me. Uh, it's great to have him in the mix this way. We miss him in broadcasting. I think everybody knows that, but uh, it's great to see him. Great work. It's great to see him do great work uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers. Danny, um, I'll let you go on that. Thanks as always for stopping by, and uh, you know, good luck convincing anybody that this thing is a rebuild. Because if it is, there's a, there's a few owners <laughs> around the NHL that want to sign up for this kind of rebuild. Uh, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, good luck this weekend. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Take care. There he is, Dan- Daniel Bierre is the uh, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Next in action tomorrow against the Detroit Red Wings and then games against the New Jersey Devils, Nashville Predators, and again uh, against the Red Wings before the Christmas break. Um, so a couple of things I want to uh, share with you here. Uh, don't forget Saturday, Hockey Night in Canada, always the staple. Uh, 6.30 Eastern with Hockey Central and your host Ron McLean, the official pregame program uh, for Hockey Night in Canada. And a, and a few things. We've talked a lot this week about Noah Dobson. Had a really good conversation yesterday with Thomas Hickey. Thomas is a former NHL defenseman. As you know, now works the Islanders broadcast, works at MSG. 
Uh, Dobson's been tremendous for the Islanders, and I don't think it's much of a secret anymore. Uh, you'll get to watch the uh, Noah Dobson-led New York Islanders facing off against the Montreal Canadiens uh, tomorrow. There's five games on Hockey Night tomorrow. The Pittsburgh Penguins face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Leafs coming off uh, a 40-minute clunker, 20 good minutes, and then an overtime where Matthews could have ended it. Nylander probably should have ended it. I still don't know how that puck went through Merzlikin's legs and then squirted out beside the net instead of over the red line. But nonetheless, and you get a chance to watch Sidney Crosby again. Like, come on, he's having a great season. Uh, so it's Penguins and the Leafs, the Avalanche facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Calgary Flames, the Florida Panthers facing off against the Edmonton Oilers. And that is Hockey Nights tomorrow. Thanks to everyone who took part in today's show. Uh, you just heard from Daniel Briere, the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Billy Jaffe from Nesson talked about the Boston Bruins and youth hockey and coaching youth hockey in Boston. Uh, Paul Maurice, the head coach of the Florida Panthers, who have been shut out in back-to-back games, but... Uh, they're looking to end that tomorrow as they face off against the Edmonton Oilers. And Elliot Friedman came on and was blatantly wrong about their Brady Kachuk shot with Pedro Kachetkov to say nothing of how he botched, completely botched his analysis of Matt Zuccarello last night in the Calgary game. Uh, thanks to David Sis, Austin Mackey, Jen Rolnick, and our supervising and sick producer, the great Matt Marchese. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you again on Monday.